channel on YouTube. Stream it on YouTube. I'm just recording. Do you, do you know how to do YouTube? Um, I, I can't live stream it, but I can record it and I can put it on the podcast. Do you know how to do YouTube live recording? Or live stream? That takes a little bit of preparation, actually. Okay. Yeah, you have to have a channel and then you have to go to the... Um, actually, yeah, no, I was, I was meant to do that. I still, I still need to do that. Yeah. I was going to bring my tripod today. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem, bismillahir rahmanir rahim. In today's darus, I'll talk about uh, the subject of... a question that comes up from time to time, which is on the subject of drugs. And why is it that drugs are forbidden in Islam, and in which cases is it permissible? Is medical marijuana permissible? Other drugs, are they permissible in certain situations? What do the scriptures of Islam teach us? The basis of Islam's teachings on this subject are found in the Holy Quran and the India Hadith. It is, there, it is uh, in chapter 5, verse 91, Allah Almighty says that, O you who believe, wine in the game of hazard and idols and divining arrows are only an abomination of Satan's handiwork. So shun each one of them that you may prosper. Now in this verse, there are a few different categories of things that are forbidden which are given. And wine is something that is mentioned specifically. But that doesn't mean that wine in and of itself is the only thing that is forbidden. It's the same thing as foods that are forbidden. When the Holy Quran mentions pork and blood and things sacrificed for idols and something that dies of itself, it doesn't mean that these are the only four things that are haram. It means these are four categories. The Khifa Rabi Rahimahullah explained that these four categories are then elaborated and expanded on within a hadith, and then they go into different details on the laws of hurmat and hillat within Islam. So that also applies in principle to this verse. So wine is mentioned in the Holy Quran, other drugs are not mentioned specifically, but it is a principle that is mentioned. And that principle is elaborated in the hadith of the Holy Prophet It is narrated in Nasai and Abu Dawud and Ibn Majah as well. That the Holy Prophet said that if a large amount of anything causes intoxication, a small amount of it is prohibited. Now this is the rule that Islam has set forward. And for just about every rule that there is, there is always an exception. There's only a couple of rules in Islam where there is no exception. Shirk is one of them. There's no exception for it. But this also has exceptions. You now, when pork is held as being something that is forbidden, there is an exception. If it, our lives depend on it, not only is it permissible, it is required for us to eat pork. It would be a sin for a person to abstain from eating pork and as a result die. Because the preservation of life is more important than the preservation of this one teaching when its wisdom is lost. The wisdom of the teaching is for our health and when following that teaching leads to our death, then we must follow the wisdom of the teaching. So also it applies to the use of drugs. We have, as Hazur has mentioned in one of his khutbat, quoting Hazrat Muslim, that in many of the prescriptions that are found in natural medicine, in hikmat, opium is used as a main ingredient, and it is used vastly among the different medicines that are given. So those drugs that cause an intoxicating effect, when they have a medicinal value, there is nothing objectionable to using it for its medicinal purposes. In fact, even if that intoxicant within itself is the only medicine that is available for that particular illness, even then it is something that is permissible. If a person finds only relief from that illness within that drug, then that drug then becomes a medicine, it is no longer an intoxicant. Now here also the important questions of intentions arises. Now many times as we see in our society, people try to find excuses. Now when we were in the prohibition era here in the United States and alcohol was made illegal, 
then it had become a business for doctors to give prescriptions where they would sell a prescription for alcohol for any illness that there was. So this is a similar thing that has started to arise with marijuana. When there is a demand and people are looking for excuses, then doctors sometimes, or those who give prescriptions, a certain level of corruption can sometimes come in, although it's nowhere near to the level of corruption that existed in the Prohibition era. But as Muslims, our intention needs to be clear. If marijuana has certain medical benefits, but there are other medicines that carry an equal benefit, then we should use those other medicines. If a certain drug like opium or cocaine has a medical benefit, it probably does, but that doesn't mean that it's the best medicine for it. A person might just be looking for an excuse to snort some cocaine, and he can probably find in the list of certain medical benefits that it has a certain benefit that it gives for an ailment that he is going through. It doesn't mean that now Islamically he is justified to use that drug to start sniffing cocaine. So a drug is only justifiable when, in an objective, objective medical opinion, it is something that is of benefit. And when it is something that is the only thing of benefit, then of course, it is something that is permissible. But coming to a point that is of greater tirbiyati importance to us, why is it that these drugs have been made forbidden? Sometimes there is misunderstanding about it. Sometimes there is an assumption that maybe drugs are forbidden because they're harmful. Maybe they're haram because they're addictive. Neither of these two reasons make something haram. Something can be harmful, anything can be harmful. To pick up this carpet and start chewing on it and swallow it is harmful as well. It doesn't mean that it is technically haram in the language of Islam. Also, there are many things that are addictive as well. Cigarettes are addictive, nicotine is addictive. Other things are addictive, but that doesn't make it haram either. Specifically, what comes under the definition of haram, according to the ahadith, is when something inebriates and it intoxicates our mind. That is what Allah Almighty has defined and very specifically defined as haram. Now that doesn't mean that something that is unhealthy is something that is encouraged. It's just that Allah Ta'ala didn't need to tell us not to eat styrofoam or not to eat dirt. It is more harmful than taking drugs, but there was no need to declare it as being haram. When something is specifically declared by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in elaboration of the Holy Quran, when it is declared as being forbidden, then there are wisdoms in it. There are vast and deep wisdoms in it. And so the wisdom on drugs, in, on drugs is on this point of intoxication. And the beauty of the point of this intoxication is that it comes back to our spirituality. It comes back to many different aspects of our spirituality. The use of drugs is something that reduces a person to the state of an animal. The basic thing that drugs do, that intoxication and inebriation does, is that it impairs our judgment. And our judgment is what makes us distinctly human beings. Hazrat Masih said in one place that one of the beauties of the coming of the Holy Prophet was that he took people who were like animals and made them into humans, and then took those humans and made them into saints. What drugs do is that they take away our uh, free will in, in an extent, our judgment that Allah Ta'ala has given us, and they reduce a human being back to the state of being an animal. So in this way it goes in contradiction of the purpose of Islam to take us to a higher level of sophistication and civilization. Along with this point is the human dignity that each of us has. Islam seeks to establish us on a high level of dignity, on a sense of self-respect. And a person cannot have respect for themselves and cannot have respect in the eyes of their own children and their own subordinates if they reduce themselves to being in the state of an animal. This is something that an Ahmadi can appreciate better than probably anyone else. Even those Ahmadi youth who sometimes, God forbid, fall into the habit of drugs or experiment with them, they cannot escape from this feeling of dignity that Allah Ta'ala has ingrained into them. Someone else who is raised in a different environment, 
who's perhaps grown up having to see their father get high or see their mother get drunk. For them, it's an ordinary thing to see a respectable person in their life behave like an animal and to be reduced in dignity. Perhaps they don't feel anything. But for a person who has that sense of respect, to then see themselves or someone that they respect in a state of impaired judgment, in a state of inebriation or drunkenness, is something that attacks at our own self-respect for ourselves, the dignity that Islam established within ourselves. So this is also one aspect of the reasons why Islam has not allowed for the use of inebriation and intoxicants. Then another reason is the fact that Islam has come for our intellectual progress, for our spiritual progress, our thoughts, they are what define us on a daily basis as human beings. And when a person is inebriated, then their ability to think is impaired. If a person is sitting around doing nothing for three hours, and on the other hand, if a person is sitting around high or drunk for three hours, the three hours of the person who is drunk are completely wasted. Even if a person is doing nothing, he's wasting his time, he's just sitting there doing nothing, but at least he's in his normal state of mind. He might have some kind of epiphany. He'll make some sort of progress in his thought. There'll be progress within his life. So the use of drugs is something that should feel like a, a, type of, a type of stupidity to any person who has not been raised in an environment where, where it has become a norm. In fact, one of the ways in which the use of drugs strikes at the heart of spiritual progress is that it is used as a sedative. It is used as a form of escapism. Now, there are certain drugs that are sedatives and there are other drugs that excite. You know, like opium is something that sedates and other drugs like cocaine are ones that excite. But either way, it is a form of escapism, an escapism from pain. And if it is not an escapism from pain, it is an escape to a greater level of fun and enjoyment. But whatever the case is, when a person is escaping from their reality, then they can never make progress in their own reality. Islam teaches us that it is from pain and it is from striving and struggle and hardship that a person comes to the epiphanies that define them as a person. That's where we make all of our progress. If a person is feeling sad, if they're feeling depressed, if they're struggling, it's in those low moments, in fact, that we come up with that epiphany, when we realize what is important, when something clicks, when something snaps. So when a person is escaping their suffering for not finding a solution by using drugs, then they're actually pushing that solution further and further away from themselves. When we find ourselves in mental anguish, that mental anguish is in fact the key to every epiphany in life. Now a person uses drugs because they're not having epiphanies, because they're stuck, because they can't take the pain and suffering. They need the release of that epiphany, but they can't get it, so they take an artificial release of an epiphany, which is drugs. And that drug itself handicaps them and cripples their ability to actually be able to ever reach that breakthrough, that mental breakthrough that realization of what the truth is, of what the reality is, of that idea that they need, or that inspiration that they need. So this is a vicious cycle that a person finds themselves here in as well. And this is something that is not just related to our psychology, but our spirituality. So these are many of the different angles in the ways in which Islam takes a stance on something, why the Holy Quran has described wine in principle, and why the Holy Prophet described in commentary of this intoxicants. Those things that inebriate and those things that intoxicate, they are poison to our spirituality. And when something is poison to our spirituality, then it is something that Islam will definitely give us very clear and direct teachings on, and that is why the hurmat of it is declared very clearly. So when it comes to explaining to others and also to convincing our youth 
of the dangers of drugs and the dangers of um, you know the inebriation and uh, intoxication. It is not just about you know the, the the physical harm that it can do to a person and the psychological harm that it does to us and the harm that it does to our mind, but also no matter who that Ahmadi is, we all have that sense of self-respect that being raised or having spent time within the Jamaat has imbibed into us. We all have that sense of a value for time. We all have a sense of a greater purpose that Ahmadiyyat has imbibed into us, a great and grand purpose that we are to achieve over generations. And so all these things come combined into the specific qualities of every Ahmadi that all of us have who have spent time within the Jamaat, who have been raised within the Jamaat. And the use of drugs is something that starts to erode at that very valuable, unique characteristic that Ahmadiyyat has placed into our fitrat, has placed into our nature. So these are some of the reasons why it has been made forbidden. And it is very important that each and every Ahmadi be saved from the harm of this sub, of the, of the, the, the abuse of substances that is, that is uh, taking away from our society. So now, if uh, anybody has any questions, and we can briefly address them. We don't have questions, but I just <coughs> want to explain one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, when Mr. Zafurullah came for uh, his higher study, mm -hmm. his professor, <coughs> Professor Warren, gave him a piece of advice, and he said that, in short, avoid wine and women, you will not be having regretting for having gone to England. Mm -hmm. And then Joy uh, uh, came here in London, and Khaja Kamaluddin wrote a letter to his father. आपका बेटा लंदन में यूं रह रहा है जैसे मिस्र में यूसुफ हरकुंती अब्बुल एडवाइज हिम के कहा जाता है यूरोप में सर्दी का असर को दूर करने के लिए शराब पीना जरूरी है लोग शराब